All right, well, welcome everyone. My name is Amanda Aliberti, social worker at Adoptions from the Heart, and we are really excited to welcome Sierra and Courtney. So thanks ladies for taking the time to join our call. You're welcome. Welcome. To start off with, I was hoping you could each introduce yourself, um, say your name, where you're from, and a little bit of what brings you to the world of adoption. So Sierra, I'm gonna pick on you first. <laughs> <laughs> Um, well, hi, everybody. My name's Sierra. I live in Delaware currently. And what brought me here is I placed my son for adoption in December 2016. We are coming up on four years. Oh, wow. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Uh, well, I guess. Hi, I'm Courtney. Um, I reside in Atlanta, Georgia. Um, and I am here because I am a birth mom that placed 20 years ago. <laughs> oh, 20 years? Yeah. Yeah. I'm getting all anxious at four. My goodness. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. Wait a minute. I'm sorry. Can I ask first question? Sure. Oh, 38. Because it don't look like... <laughs> <laughs> You're my new bestie. Like, <laughs> yeah. You probably get that a lot, Courtney, because you do not. You know, <laughs> I've gotten in sprinkle of times, a few little times here and there. <laughs> but I'm not going to complain. I'll take it. Okay. Did we just lose Sierra? I think so. Uh oh. She'll, prob she'll probably pop back in. It might be her Wi Fi is not super great. Yeah, especially with the weather being crazy with the hurricanes. Well, I don't I, I don't know if you guys are getting any of that. We've had some rain. It hasn't been super, super crazy with hurricanes, but we've had some rain the last couple of days. It's not supposed to be a very good week, but we, we shall see. We'll yeah. See if, it, if it gets better. Um, so 20 years. Wow. Yeah, it's been a journey, um, but sure. one that I, I wouldn't change a thing about it, so... That's wonderful. Yeah. Can you maybe while we're waiting for Sierra to come back, um, and I, obviously I want her to hear what you're about to say, but I think she's she's coming back in now. There she Hi, is. Sierra. <laughs> um, I was hoping you could each maybe describe a little bit about where you guys were at when you found out you were pregnant with the child you placed for adoption. Courtney, would you like to start? Sure. Um... <laughs> I actually, um, I was in high school. I was a senior. In, you can't hear us? Uh-oh. You can't hear us, Sierra? Is your video and your uh, sound turned up? You, you might have to change your, if you take your mouse and scroll over near mute. Oh, well, she can't hear us, so. Yeah, from my end, it looks like you can you she can hear us because she's not yeah. her her audio is connected. She's probably logging off and logging back on again. Enjoys mm -hmm. yeah. the Zoom. <laughs> That's the fun part of it, you know. It's all a all a learning process with the Zoom. Now, Courtney, are you a teacher? I am an educator. I I I rarely say teacher only because people automatically assume like K through 12. Uh -huh. Um and I actually educate adults oh. um for a nonprofit. So I usually just say I'm an educator. Um but yeah, I get to interact with um 
most of my students are mid 20s to early 40s. Okay. Um, every once in a while, we'll get a few 18 year olds. I think the oldest I've ever had uh, was like 45. Oh, so wow. Yeah, yeah it's fun I, was times. I was scrolling your website a little bit and uh, the book you wrote seems really just empowering. <laughs> oh, thank you. Yeah, it's been it's been a journey in learning my worth. Mm -hmm. And um, I actually learned with my students one day a couple of years ago, we were having a conversation about self-esteem and and things of that nature. And I was just like, you know, you're worthy. Right. Mm -hmm. And resounding no my students had this blank look like what are you talking about nobody has ever called us worthy before what do you mean by worthy and so i began to tell them every you know at the end of every class you know you're worthy and i love you and then my students would come and like hug me after class of course this was pre-covid but they would come hug me after class like nobody's ever said that you know people don't tell me that they love me you know just and i'm just like if i made you know poor choices in my life due to my lack of worth and clearly my students are being affected these grown adults are being affected by you know these simple words i was just like there has to be other people also out there that need to know that they're special, that they're worthy, that they're deserving. And so I started thinking, well, you know, yes, now I'm in my late thirties and I know it, but how different would my life have been had I known my worth as a child? And so that's where the idea of writing a children's book came to play. And so when COVID like shut down everything in March, um, I wrote the book over a weekend and had it published by June. So yeah. Wow. Yeah, I'm really, really proud of it. You know, it's a very simple book, very short book. Um, but I've had grown women call me in tears saying how much, you know, just seeing these words, like you're deserving of respect, you're deserving of love. And just knowing like, wow, I really am deserving of that. So yeah. Well, I feel like a lot of that connects back to adoption and to birth parents, particularly, um, you know, and, and I think Sierra will probably talk a little bit more about what it was like when she, when she first placed, but there is this sense of, I matter, and we want to teach women and men that you matter. Um, and you don't want to let society pressure you into feeling some type of way because of the decisions you made. Um, Sierra, can you maybe pop yourself back into that mind frame of when you first found out you were pregnant and how you were feeling? Um, so when I first found out I was pregnant, I was a little over 24 weeks. Um, for some reason, my pregnancies fly by and I never know about them because um, my son was my second baby and. Oh, wait, Sierra, your audio went off again. Unmute yourself. There you go. Hi, I'm back. You're back. Um, but yeah, both my pregnancies like snuck up on me. So when I found out I was pregnant with my son, I was in a mixture of emotions, um, more so very concerned about what was going to happen with, with my family because I was in an apartment. It was me and my then boyfriend at the time and then my best friend and then our two kids. And it, it was like, we were in a two bedroom apartment. It was a lot and we're like, okay, so now here comes another child. 
And then maybe what, two months after I found out, I found out I was getting evicted. So I'm like, okay, so now I have to go home with my two-year-old daughter and a possible, you know, newborn baby because me and my son's dad couldn't get this, get a situation figured out. So it would be basically me being at my mother's house with two children. That was a no-go. My mom um, has an autoimmune disease and I'm like, she can't help me. And I'm not really going to have the help that I'm going to need. This baby's not going to have the support and love that it's going to need. And honestly, neither is my daughter who's currently here. So I started looking up my options, which were very few, I thought, at the time. And then I met Amanda. Well, I, I was in the car. <laughs> so I was in the car on my way to work. And that little jingle went off on the radio. It's like, are you pregnant? And you don't know what to do. I'm like, yes, I pregnant and I don't know what to do oh, wow. <laughs> yeah it was really like oh I actually am pregnant because I've heard the commercial Ooh. so much throughout my days for for years and I'm like I never even really paid attention to it and then it was just the one day I was going to work and I'm like huh I am pregnant I don't know what to do let me let me get this number let me look them up let me give them a call when I'm home and settled and can actually do this and I did, and that's when Amanda, Amanda actually came to me, and we talked, it was lovely, because she gave me all my options, instead of just the one she, that I called her for. <laughs> wow. How about for you, Courtney, how were you feeling when you, when you first found out you were pregnant with the child you placed? So whenever I get a question similar to this, I always go back just like a step to how I got pregnant in the first place. Um, and it goes back to lack of worth, not knowing that I mattered, not knowing that I was special. And so because of that, I went looking for love in all the wrong places, thinking love equals sex equals a man's attention. Um, and so that's actually how I ended up pregnant. Um, I actually, crazily enough, never took a pregnancy test, never, I, literally woke up one morning, hadn't missed a cycle, woke up, sat in bed and said, oh my God, I'm pregnant. That is how, that is literally how I found out I was pregnant. And then of course, eventually the symptoms and, and whatnot started happening. Um, but you know, I was a senior in high school, um, terrified out of my mind um, because you know, I was already, in school doing extracurricular activities and working part-time jobs. And so it's just like, I'm barely surviving on my own. How am I gonna bring a baby into this situation? Um, I knew that parenting was just not feasible. Like I wanted to go to college. I wanted to like make a better life for myself. And I also knew that I, you know, no judgment on anybody that has, but I knew that I didn't want to have an abortion. And so um, adoption is not something I grew up hearing about. Like I saw it in Lifetime movies after school specials. Um, but I knew that if parenting wasn't gonna work and if abortion wasn't gonna work, then I guess I better figure, figure out this adoption thing. And, you know, 20 plus years ago, Google didn't exist, um, couldn't get on your smartphone and start researching. So I literally had to open up the yellow pages um, 
and I found an adoption agency that was off of a bus, bus line because I didn't have a vehicle, um, called and made an appointment. And that's, that's pretty much how, how it began. I mean, the, one of the reasons I was really excited to bring the two of you together is because clearly there is that the difference, 20 years, right? Um, Sierra placed four years ago, you placed 20 years ago. Um, but in many ways, the reasons of why you placed were very similar. Um, and, and the steps you take are very similar. Um, can you guys talk a little bit about when you did end up placing your child, like what pressures you faced, whether that's from family, friends, society? Did you feel like people were trying to push you into a direction or overall you had good support? Oh, I can, I can. <laughs> um, so, well, first off, when I found out I was pregnant, I didn't tell anybody except my boyfriend and my best friend. And that's because they were living with me and I, I couldn't, well, I could have hit it now. Now I know that, but I was like, okay, things are happening and I need to let somebody know. So that was the only support that I had at the time. Um, slowly my boyfriend kind of fell off of the the decision making and everything he was just kind of like hey I'm present so I kind of lost that I still have my best friend she's she's still like going through it with me now um and when I went home because I ended up going back to my mom's house before I gave birth and it took me forever to tell my mother and I really don't think that it hit my mom that I, that I was pregnant until I was having him. So, because again, both, both my pregnancies, I found out late. Like my daughter, when I found out about my daughter, they were like, oh, there's a baby here. You want to know what it is? And I'm like, huh? I, I had no idea. Like I, same as you, I've never missed a cycle. I still never missed a cycle by, for my last pregnancy, never missed a cycle. And I knew I was pregnant. So both of them were really late. Um, when I went home, I was very fearful to tell my mother because the disappointment and she was just going to feel, you know, like I was just kind of worthless at the point, at this point. Cause like I, I'm now back home with my daughter and now I have another baby on the way that I already know I can't take care of. So it was, just, it was a lot of, I was hiding it basically <laughs> like from my, from my blood family, I was hiding it cause they didn't know until after except my mom and my mom didn't believe it until I was in the hospital having him <laughs> so and then um the only other person that knew was my half sister because she worked in the hospital where I was doing um mother baby or oh, not mother baby what's the one before <laughs> uh, prenatal prenatal yes when I was doing my prenatal screenings um I kind of ran into her at the hospital she was like what are you doing here? And I'm like, I can't lie. Like I'm, I'm at prenatal. I'm, I couldn't lie. So like I'm pregnant and I'm just, you know, getting the stuff done. And I ended up telling her that I was going to um, place my child for adoption. She just like, why? Like, well, because I think that's the better option at this point. <laughs> Honestly, she, she didn't know what was going on, but it was just that resounding, why are you doing it? Not like there was, there was no kind of balance there. It, it, uh, it automatically went negative and it stayed that way until like the year after. And then I, until I came to the conscious decision myself to just not talk to her 
because it was just a lot of negativity placed on me for one thing. And I was like 24 years old. And I'm like, you guys can't, can't use my whole 24 years of life to sit on this one thing and attack me for it, especially now when I'm in my grieving process. So that, that was a lot. That was a lot of the pressure I got when I was pregnant. And then I got more of it afterwards because everybody basically found out after. And then I got, oh, you should have did this. Oh, you could have did this. Oh, what have should have could have did this. And I'm like, none of you guys were there. Nobody helped me make this decision. Like I made this decision myself, but that didn't stop people from like, oh, you could have done this or you could have done that. And it did hurt, especially because I was going through my grieving process and I was not in an okay state to even talk about it. And then I just had these people in my ear constantly just telling me I did the wrong thing. So I was, that was really hard. I think it was harder to do to deal with it afterwards than it was when I was pregnant because I was because I was still grieving like I was already sad so it's like you're you're attacking while I'm already down so that made it worse yeah um so I also hid um I told maybe two or three close friends um other than that I hid my pregnancy um I lived with one parent only one parent was in my life and I knew that if I told that parent that I was pregnant, I knew they'd make me get an abortion. So I hid, um, hid my pregnancy until about six and a half months, seven months until basically I was showing and couldn't hide it anymore. And the parent took me to an abortion clinic and uh, they were like, um, I'm sorry, um, she's too far along, please leave. Like, you know, basically. Um, the, the handful of friends, well, I wouldn't even say a handful, the two to three friends that I told um, were as supportive as possible. Um, I think, and this is not to excuse anybody and their negative responses to our choice for adoption. I think, especially in the black community, adoption isn't talked about. It isn't an everyday conversation, you know, it's all secretive, like grandma adopted nephew or auntie adopted, you know, but it's not really discussed. Um, and so I think some of that negativity comes from not having the information, not knowing what adoption is and what adoption isn't. You know, I went into adoption thinking, oh, the baby snatch, you don't know if it's a boy or girl, you don't know the name, you never see the baby ever again. And then on your deathbed, some old person comes out the woodwork, I am your child that you place for it. Like, you, you know, I think there's fear um, and uncertainty from not knowing, um, which is why I think things like this is so important to have conversations um, so that people understand that, yeah, actually black folks do do adoption, you know. Um, I actually, I've had negative responses from, you know, people that know me as well as strangers. Um, as I mentioned earlier, I was, you know, working a part-time job, um, <laughs> several throughout high school. And, um, you know, when people come in often and see you, they kind of feel like they know you. And so they could see, you know, I'm starting to get a belly. And so this woman approaches me and she's just like, I've noticed, you know, you're, it looks like you're pregnant. How exciting. And I was like, yeah, it is exciting. She's like, so what are you going to name the baby? Are you having a boy or a girl? You know, all those questions that people ask. 
And I was just like, oh, well, actually, you know, I'm placing uh, my child for adoption. And this woman looks me in my eye and says, you're going to hell. Um, And I said, excuse me. I mean, you know what I'm saying? Like, it was just like, wait, what? And she's just like, my granddaughter got pregnant at 15 and we helped her. Why would you, why would you just give up your child? And I said, ma'am, I'm glad your grandchild had your help, but I don't have help. So, um, and then I went into the back and burst into tears because, you know, emotions. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, it's, um, and once again, I think it comes from that lack of knowledge, as well as not having empathy for others. Like, great that you were there for your granddaughter, but you can't assume that everybody has that type of help. When I told the father of my child that I was pregnant, I tell people all the time, the term ghosting was created by me. Not only did he change his phone number, he changed his beeper number and he moved after I told him I was pregnant. Oh my God. So, you know, a 17, you know, a terrified 17 year old with no support, what else am I supposed to do? So, so that was my, uh, <laughs> that was my emotional foray into adoption. What got you through it for each of you? What got you through those moments of, you know, preparing for placement, placement happening, letting go of child, like what helped you guys through it? So, well, I mean, you know, the, the after, like after I, after I did everything, like after I came home, like you were, you were it, <laughs> you, you were the rock there. Um, because any, anything that I had a problem with, I felt like I couldn't talk to anybody because I felt so alone. Like I, I, I felt like, obviously I'm like, I can't talk to my mom because she's very against this. I, and I felt like, like as as much as again, I said my best friend was there, and she still is. At the time, I'm like, I just went through something, to me, very traumatic. How do I, how do I express this? So, I kept a lot of it inside because I'm like, somebody's not gonna understand how I feel. So why am I wasting my breath? And the only person I was like, man, let me call Amanda because I'm really in a bad place right now. And at, and at least I know she's worked with other women like me. And then I would call her. We would go to the to the library. We would have our sit downs. I would cry in the chair. People look at me funny, and it was just it was a great time. <laughs> but I think prior to that, it was really just like the love for my child that got me through like everything else because a lot happened between like me finding out I got evicted to the day I went to the hospital to the day I gave birth and every every thought that I had in my head that was just negative or it was backtracking at some point I just had to stop me like my son deserves this like my son will be in better hands like my son will be happy he'll be healthy and then also my daughter my daughter's gonna be okay her mom's gonna be okay like we're and and I think it was really while I was pregnant just the love of my kids and kind of thinking about how their life would be affected by this one decision that I needed to make kept me going through the end like the end of the process until I had him and then afterwards it was Amanda yeah. Mine is similar in 
in that, you know, thinking about my son, thinking about why I am making this decision, um, that had to be constantly at the forefront of my mind. What also helped, which isn't healthy, um, I gave birth on Tuesday, we left the hospital on Thursday, and I moved in for my freshman year of college on Sunday. So there literally was no time to like, okay, I gotta go get my books. Okay, where's my first class? Okay, where's my next class? Okay, I have to meet my new roommate. Okay, well, where do I go to get my, I had to focus on this new way of being as a college student that I really didn't have time to grieve. Um, so time also played a part um, as well as the health fees that you pay as a student included therapy. Um, and so the second semester of my freshman year, um, I began therapy, which helped immensely. Um, I've said this before and I'll, I'll probably say it forever. Those that are choosing adoption now, um, you know, 10 years ago through now and beyond have such an amazing um, situation because there are adoption groups, there are birth mom groups and birth mom dinners. Those things didn't exist for me. I literally felt alone. I'm quite sure I met birth mothers, but they weren't talking about it. Um, they weren't, you know, I was literally open from day one. Um, I actually have a friend in my life now and he's just like, Courtney, I remember the first day I met you, you told me about the adoption. Um, part of my healing is talking about it and you know, just sharing about adoption. But I literally two years ago was my first time going to a birth mother event. My son was 18 and I had not been to, I had not you know, interacted with other birth mothers. So I'm so grateful that adoption today is different than what it was because there's so much support, so much love um, and so much care because you know when you feel like nobody knows what you're going through and you're being judged by this person, this person, well, I would have done this and why did you do that? And you have this group of women that get it, mm -hmm. that could make the entire difference for somebody trying to figure out what to do with you know an unexpected pregnancy. You, you actually answered one of my questions because that's exactly what I was going to ask is what type of um, support did you have in terms of did you connect with any other birth parents? Um, because, you know, for Sierra, so I've been with the agency now a little over eight years and I'm proud to work at Adoptions from the Heart. I think the services we provide are amazing. Um, but probably about three and a half years ago is when I started the monthly support groups that Sierra was one of the first to join. Um, and the reason I started it is I felt the need for women to come together and be able to connect. And exactly what you're talking about, Courtney, is what I felt like we needed. You know, we as social workers, counselors, therapists, we can do our best to try to provide that support and, and counseling to clients, but you don't know what it feels like unless you've walked in somebody else's shoes. And I think the ability for women and men to connect with one another is really powerful to the healing process that a birth parent needs to go through. So first I wanna say, I'm sorry that you didn't have that when you placed, um, but I also think it's really powerful that you're able to speak out today and use all that you've been through to help empower other women and men 
who might be in a very similar situation. So um, again, you. we're grateful to have women like you join calls like this. Cause like you said, the more we can educate and spread awareness, the better it's going to be. Cause this is never going to go away, right? Women are going to always be facing unplanned pregnancies um, in the future because that's just the way of the world. Um, so I think that adoption today is very different than it was 20 years ago, right? Yeah. Would you agree with that? Oh, immensely. <laughs> Can I ask each of you to describe a little bit if you're okay with sharing what your open adoptions look like if you do have open adoptions? Oh, mine was completely open from like day one. <laughs> and, um, I think since I, since I picked my family, I, in my mind, I did the, this is not my child. This is their child. So I when I made like my hospital plan, I was like, I want the parents there. I, I don't care. I want, I want them in the room. Like I want them there the entire time. Not just at delivery, not just before, not just after the baby's here. Like I, I said, I want them there the entire time, as long as they're comfortable with it. I'm comfortable with it. Um, I think the, the day that I went to the hospital, I did not plan to give birth that day. I was supposed to get a checkup and I was supposed to go home because it was what December 22nd or something it was it was around Christmas so I'm like let me get this checkup let me go home and get everything ready because I'm the gift wrapper in my family so of course all the boxes are stacked up at my mom's house for me to wrap and I went to the hospital and they were like you're 40 weeks you need to stay and I'm like I can't <laughs> I was like I, I can't I have things to do and then the hospital kind of broke it down to me like it's it's a matter of the life of the child possibly mine as well because things didn't look right to them so it was like at that point I was like okay I guess I'm staying at the hospital and I called Amanda I'm like hey Amanda time's happening <laughs> things ha oh no it was either you or Daniel I called and I said I'm at the hospital they are admitting me I I'm getting um I was getting induced and I think my family was three hours away. They got there in like three hours. <laughs> they were there immediately after they got the call, like as soon as they could get there. And I let them know beforehand, like any anything that you guys, like anything that I have access to as the mother in the hospital, you guys get the same treatment. Like you guys are the mother and father. You guys get to move around the hospital, come in and out of my room. It, it was like from that moment, I think that really helped bonding experience because they were there from the moment I got in that room until the day I left <laughs> so they were there that entire time and then we had exchanged emails and phone numbers like prior to um, my son getting here so we had been like in very in already the the private I guess communications already so it's it's been open pretty much from the start is just like I think that more so helped because again I was alone in that in that section like even though when I was at the hospital my son's father was there but like um my son's um adoptive mother was with me when I got my epidural like she held my hand she was the one in front of me while they were doing the epidural like um his father and and his mother were there when I was giving birth, like his father cut the cord, like it was, and I really, like I let them do everything they wanted to do. Like the hospital asked me 
did I want skin to skin? I said, yes, of course I want skin to skin, but I want them in there as well. So they, I, I gave literally everything was just, everything was laid out on the table. I'm like, you guys can pick what you're okay with, but I'm letting y'all know, if you want to be in there for delivery, you sure can. You want to be in there before that, you sure can. The only time you got to get out is if the doctor tells you to get out, because I'm not going to tell you to get out. I never did. They were, they were, they were, I think they were a little concerned because I said all this while I was pregnant and I was very happy. And then I, and then when we were in the hospital, they were a little, a little like shy about it because now I'm in the hospital. Now I'm in pain. Now everything is, is, you know, real. And I'm still sitting there like, Hey guys, what's up? <laughs> like we sat there, we watched Disney movies. And I'm like, you guys are here. We're here for the long run together. <laughs> And That's so amazing. Today you have um, direct correspondence with the adoptive family, right? You guys talk through phone, through email, they send you pictures and you have visits. Okay. Yep. Awesome. How about for you, Courtney? So my adoption, um, as many were back then, um, semi-open. So what that meant was the adoption agency was the intermediary. Um, his family could send a letter and pictures once a year and I could send letters and pictures whenever. I was very intentional. Um, I specifically chose to send him a birthday card with a, a, a yearly letter in his birthday card, a Mother's Day card for his mom, a Father's Day card for his dad, and then a holiday, December holiday card. Um, and like I said, I wanted to be very intentional about that because, you know, I didn't want to start like sending gifts because what if this year I can afford a $500 gift, but next year I can afford a $5 gift. I didn't want my son to ever think, oh, she doesn't love me anymore or, oh, you know, but I knew that no matter how I was doing financially, I would be able to afford a $2 card and a stamp. Right. So I was very intentional about that. Um, and so that, it, it, it was basically, you know, semi-open the whole time. Um, when my son was probably maybe 10 years old, um, it's ridiculous now. I can laugh at it now, but at the time it was very upsetting. In February, I got a letter from the adoption agency saying, by the way, we closed our doors back in November. If you still want to hear from your son's parents, send us a $50 check. If they also send a $50 check, then we'll continue to be the intermediary. Wait. Mind you, <laughs> actually he wasn't 10 because I was still in college. So maybe he was five. I don't know. Um, but, um, you know, as a college student, I'm like, I got to I gotta get this $50 somewhere. So I got the $50, sent off a check and never heard anything. Um, and it broke my heart because, you know, with the, with the agency being the intermediary, I didn't know where they lived. I didn't know their last name. I knew nothing. So literally in my heart, it was just like, you're never going to hear from them again. Um, and maybe a year or two, three years later, I'm trying to remember the whole Facebook timeline because college kids got Facebook first before mm -hmm. it was opened to anybody. Um, but I, I was on Facebook one day and all of a sudden I get a message and it's just hi, you know, and of course Facebook's new, Facebook Messenger's new. And I'm like, I'm not answering this. I don't know who you are. Uh -huh. 
And um, a few weeks later, I get another message. It says, hello. And so I'm like, how do I know you? Um, and she's like, we're both Nathan's mom. And I was just, I lost it. She found me on Facebook, um, which I will forever, forever be grateful for. Because once again, you know, without the agency, I had nothing on them. So um, from that point forward, we had social media connecting us. And on his 18th birthday, she called me and she's just like, he's 18 now, I'd love for our relationship to change. So now we have email, we have each other's phone numbers. And even though my son hasn't made the decision whether or not he's ready to meet me, I have a relationship with his mother. So I'm forever grateful for that. So yeah, uh, semi-open was was the plan. Do you still get pictures, Courtney, of him? Or, or have you seen recent photos through social media? Yeah, so now like every once in a while, I'll get a text message from her with a photo or his birthday's in August. She sent me a photo of him. Um, he wanted to go bowling. So there's a photo of him at a bowling lanes with his mask on. And I just, it just brightens my entire month whenever I get an unexpected, you know, picture. Um, last year for his birthday, she took a video of people singing him happy birthday with his, you know, cake in front of him. Like, you know, just any of those unexpected things um, just rocks my world. Cause you know, I, I see women that have had open adoptions and I see them holding their child and going to their child's football games and going on vacations or spending weekends. And it's, you know, it's just like, oh, that's nice. You know, so when I get my pictures, it's like, yes like it's just that is my connection you know that is me going to the baseball game that is me going on vacation with them when I get these photos well, I, I have such reactions but I want to let Sierra react to to that powerful story <laughs> my god I'm still upset about the the that they just closed their doors like I couldn't imagine if I got an email in the end well I mean, I'm at, I think that's where me being so open very early on would have saved me. Be, I would have lost my mind. I'm sorry. I would have lost my mind if they said, well, we can't help you anymore. And then, cause that was, that was my biggest fear was I wouldn't know what happened to my son. Yeah. That was the entire reason why I fully did not. I said, I a hundred percent didn't want to do foster care. So I'm like, I need to know, even if I don't know where my son is, like, I need to know he's okay. Yeah. If nothing else. So that I ooh. <laughs> Yeah. <It's> like, <laughs> Come knocking on your door. Excuse me, ma'am. <laughs> I I can't imagine, but I hear I feel like I feel I feel the same with the things that you said in your story as far as like keeping in contact with his parents and then even the whole thing with you sending gifts. Like I feel that way too. Just just uh, every every holiday or event that comes up I've always felt like kind of what should I do because I don't want to do nothing but I don't want to do too little but I also don't want to do too much same and same reason like if I can't do this next year they're gonna look at me like oh something changed I'm like yeah my money did <laughs> and that's kind of it so like I feel I, I understand that 100% and then I, I mean, I don't want, I mean, if you don't mind talking about it, I know you said your son's 20 now. 
and he hasn't made the decision if he wants to have a relationship with you yet how do you how do you feel about that so from literally from before he was born it was a countdown in my mind. It was a mental countdown. You know, once he was born, okay, 18 years to go. Okay, he's five. All right, that's 13 years to go, 10 years to go. I mean, there's literal Facebook posts where it's like, happy 13th birthday, Nathan, only five years to go. I mean, like, you know, in my head, it has always been when he turns 18, when he turns 18, when he turns 18. But as time goes on, and I get closer and closer to 18, as the grieving process goes on, as the understanding of, you know, I made a decision about this child's life. This mm -hmm. child is now about to be an adult. I have finally gotten to the, to the point um, where, of course, I want to meet him. Of course, I want him to want to meet me. But it's his life. I made a choice when I found out that I was pregnant with him, that I was going to do this, this adoption thing. He had no say so in it. Right. So if he turns 18 and he's not ready to meet this woman, who am I to disagree? Who am I to get angry um, right. at him? You know, so I'm perfectly fine with it. Of course, you know, I wanted to meet him yesterday and the day before that, but he is a grown man with his own aspirations and desires. And I mean, he's in college himself. And I think about myself when I was 18, yeah, I was making adult decisions, but like, this is a huge decision to meet this person, you know? So I'm just gonna be patient, um, which I hope somebody would do for me if I was in a difficult situation, you know, it can't be easy for him. He's known his entire life that he's adopted, but that still, you know, doesn't mean that that makes his life easier knowing that he was wanted, but his mom couldn't do it. So she picked a family that could, you know, he has to go through his own process. And if that means I have to wait another year or another five years or another 20 years, I'm willing to wait. You know, I love him unconditionally. Um, and he has to get to that point where he's ready to, to meet me. Um, Cause it's a huge, that's a huge undertaking you yeah. know, to meet somebody that you're connected with in DNA, but other than that, there's no relationship. So, you know, um, and mind you, it took me a long time to get to this place. Like, I know I can say it now and, you know, it took me a while to get to that place. Cause you know, in my mind, it was, what if he doesn't want to meet me? Oh my God, what am I going to do? I'm going to keep getting up every day and doing the best that I can so that when that day comes, I can get on a plane or get on a boat or get on a train and go meet that child of mine. That's why I asked. Um, that was really why I asked because I, I haven't heard, even with all the people that I have talked to with, um, with older children, I haven't heard anyone say like they chose to not like reach out to me. And I think that's a big thing for me because I said that when I was pregnant, like I said it before, like I want my son to make the decision when he's old enough. If he wants to meet me, fine. If he doesn't, fine. And then me talking to um, his mom and dad, we kind of came to, we, we came to a decision like when, when he's old enough to have an opinion on like how he feels about me, how he feels about his sister. 
um we kind of like agree like if he ever wants to come down here like for some time off of school like during summer winter break or whatever and I'm able to keep him here that's fine and same with my daughter if my daughter wants to go spend time with him or his mom and dad where they live that's fine because our main thing is like he might not obviously like he might not want to see me when he's older but I do want him to have a relationship with his sister if nothing else so that way he's not fully alone and he does you know because he has a sibling and like I know how hard that would be for him to go through all this and he has no one to really connect with because like he'll have his parents he'll have me and that's that's still like above him because we're we're the grown-ups like we set this up now I'm like well now he has a sister so even if me and him kind of don't get on connection or even if they don't kind of you know continue that connection into adulthood at least they know they have each other because that that I I just never want either one of them to feel like alone especially because you do have a brother like I tell my my daughter loves her brother anytime I get a picture she like steals my phone runs around the house and she goes to my mom like if we go to my mom's house she's like mommy show my brother show my little baby brother and I'm like can I get my phone out my bag you just stepped in the house like she she loves talking about him she loves seeing pictures of him and to my knowledge um my son's younger than she is but he likes seeing her like he likes getting pictures of her he likes getting pictures of us like he'll grab the phone and all that um he knows her name my name's still Sierra so like he, he kind of knows my name. My name's really hard to say for young kids, but that's fine. <laughs> so I, I just feel like, because I've never had anybody say that, yeah, my child just kind of didn't reach out to me after I gave them a choice. I just want to know how that looks like on the other end. Cause I'm very open going into it because for the same reason, like I'm not going to make the decision that you have to have a connection with me just because I, I birthed you. Yeah. But like I want you just like I made the same like I made a decision when he before he got here so I'm gonna like who am I to take that decision when he's older to make him come to me it's like hey exactly. have a relationship because I birthed you and I gave you like I thought I gave you a better life like I don't want to force that onto him like if he feels like he wants to come talk to me afterwards get a get like get more of a story or just like talk to me face to face that's fine and also the thing with open adoption is that he can do that at any time and he doesn't have to wait until he's 18. Mm-hmm. That's a fear of mine. <laughs> that was a very big fear of mine. Like he's going to turn 18 and I'm not going to know anything. Like whether he wants to talk to me or not, I'm just not going to know. And I, I, I never liked the idea of that. So yeah. I, I really feel like, and I love the way that you're looking at it because that's how I'm, I looked at it when I was in my hospital bed. So I'm like, maybe this will get better. And like seeing you gives me so much hope because I'm like, you you didn't start that way, but you got there. And I feel like since I I already had that open mind to it, see like seeing how you are when you talk to us, I'm like, oh my gosh, I hope this doesn't do anything. And like seeing how strong and like how proud you are when you talk about it makes me feel like, okay, I can do this. <laughs> yes, you can. Absolutely, you can. Thank you so much for the the kind words. Yeah. Thank you. You know, it, it's it's amazing because 
a lot of people look at birth mothers as extremely selfless individuals to be able to put your child's best interest before your own emotions when you're choosing adoption. Um, but both of you, it's interesting in hearing what you're both saying right now, it's almost as if that continues to happen because you continue to put your child's best interests first, no matter what. And for you, Courtney, 20 years later, you're still doing that. You're not being selfish by saying, well, he turned 18, why didn't he come visit me? Like, that was the moment, I want my moment. You're mm -hmm. now able to say, well, no, I can't, it can't be about me, it's about him and when, when he's ready. And that takes a very selfless person to do that. And I think it shows the strength of who you women are to be able to continue to put your child's best interest first. And I just think that's really powerful. Thank you. I actually really love that you say that because so many people don't see birth moms and birth dads as parents. We're overlooked on Mother's Day and Father's Day. Um, you know, I've had painful things where like, People have literally said, oh, happy Mother's Day. Here's a rose. Here's a rose. Here's a rose. Oh, you place for adoption. Here's a rose. Like, and yeah. for you to sit here and say, oh, you're so, you know, you're putting your child first. That's what parents do. So maybe birth parents don't physically have their child, but people need to know at all times we are parents, not, you know, not physically, but emotionally, mentally, we're parents and we are looking out for our kids, just like anybody that has their child in their home. So, yeah, I love that you said that. Well, you kind of answered one of my final questions. I'm <laughs> going to ask each of you if there's anything that you want people to know about birth mothers, like anything that you just want to put out there. I want you to have that moment to, to say that. And Courtney, you kind of said a lot of that, but feel free to, to yeah. follow up. Anything that you want people to know that maybe you feel like society still does not recognize? We didn't get paid, okay? I, oh my goodness, we, we didn't get paid, okay? That's child trafficking. <laughs> so many people, oh, your college was paid for, right? No, would you like to pay my, my student loans? <laughs> Um, cause, cause no, um, the fact that, you know, we're not considered, you know, parents, um, which I'm really grateful that birth mother's day exists because we do get acknowledged. Um, and I didn't even know about that till two years ago. Um, um, but yeah, the, the, you're selfish for not, you know, parenting this child, like, no, no. Do you want me and the baby to live in a cardboard box just so you can say I kept the baby? Like, um, so yeah, just, uh, I just, I just wish people would educate themselves instead of looking at lifetime movies, instead of making assumptions, I wish they would just educate and Google exists now. Um, <laughs> it's very easy to find out information if you're willing to look for it or even, you know, talk to people, you know, y'all know I'm an open book. I'll talk to the cows come home about adoption. Um, but yeah, that's, that's the biggest, those are the, the biggest things. How about for you, Sierra? Um, the biggest thing I, <laughs> I try to, I try to emphasize when I talk to anybody, we're here. Like a lot of people think we disappear into the background once the paperwork's done, the babies with their new family, like people think we disappear. Or, you know, like we fade back into society and we just kind of manage after that. Like, oh, we're here. 
<laughs> we're here we're grieving like we're still trying to make stuff work and on top of that just like when you said we're still parents so it's like on top of you guys like as for me I know it's different for me because I do have a child already and then I had my son so I did literally have to get out of I just placed my son for adoption and I had to go back to um I have to go be a mom like there there was no downtime for that like I left the hospital went back to my daughter and I want people to know like it's it's not that (laughs) like we do not just fade back into the background we don't just blend back into society like we're here and I really I want birth moms to know like please talk (laughs) I I wish I could like see people who are birth mothers and just like walk up to them like hi I'm also a birth mother here hug let's talk just because I and I felt it myself like just to be in in an area and you're getting this feeling and you don't have anybody that can connect with you around you and it's such a scary feeling and I want people to know like we're here might not see us like obviously you can't tell I'm a birth mom just by looking at me so you gotta talk I want people to like at least if not just to talk to get out of you like talk to get it in the air because a lot of people don't know like a lot of people just don't know what happens to us or what happens with an adoption process in general like in especially in black community oh my goodness like it's astounding just um which Amanda we we gotta talk (laughs) it's astounding just the amount of backlash that I get because I say one simple thing oh my son lives with his adoptive family and people look at me like what you're but she but your kid's with you I'm like no my daughter is with me my son is with his family (laughs) his adoptive family I was like I just want people to like it's okay to do that at your own pace of course I know some people don't don't feel you know they don't feel comfortable like maybe talking about their kids yet and that's perfectly fine but when you do, when you get that strength, please use it. <laughs> please use it. I I feel like that that helped me tremendously. Just talking and talking to people that may may have needed that talk from me, like may have needed the information from me. It's always good to talk. You never know who it's gonna help. Yeah. Even it could mm. be yourself or a stranger. Honestly. <laughs> yeah. I love that. Also for birth moms to not be ashamed. There's nothing shameful about placing your child. Um, I have the adoption symbol tattooed on my wrist and I was at the doctor's office a few weeks ago and the woman was like, oh, what is your tattoo mean? And I was like, oh, it's the adoption symbol. I'm a birth mom. She's like, I'm so sorry. And I was like, why? She was like, that's sad. And I was like, No, it's not. It's the best decision I've ever made. So, you know, for birth moms and for just the community as a whole, society as a whole, there is nothing in any way, shape or form to be shameful about about somebody placing their child. Um, Yes, it could be a sad situation, um, but adoption as a whole is not a, you know, oh. I'm so sorry to hear that, you know, adoption is a beautiful option for those that it works for. Um, Adoption is a viable option. A lot of people don't even consider it. Um, And adoption is totally viable um, and can be done right. As we can see, you know, both of us, even with our trials and tribulations, Mm -hmm. both of us, you know, are happy 
with our yeah. adoptions. Well, you each have very different stories, right? You each have very different experiences and it didn't go exactly the same. Um, maybe there were moments that you each wished could have been a little different, maybe not, but either way, you're both really content and confident in the decision you made and who you are today and who your child is today. And, and I think that that's really powerful. Um, yeah. You yeah. know, Sierra has heard this before for me. Um, we are just so grateful for women like you who are willing to come on camera and share your stories because this is still a very taboo conversation. As, as productive as we have been in the adoption world and we're much better today than we were 10, 15, 20 years ago, there's still a lot that has to be done. And not all women and men are courageous enough to share their story. And that's okay too. We're never here to force someone to do something that they're not comfortable with. But when you guys share your stories, the good and the bad, it helps educate people. It helps women and men who are possibly contemplating adoption. And it also helps society as a whole understand more about birth parents. And you matter. You mattered when you placed and you matter today. And we want that mantra to continue going. So we're just grateful that you guys are able to share your story because you really are inspiring. And I'm not just saying that because this is my job. I'm saying that because women and men who choose adoption and continue to fight for the best life for their child are amazing people, amazing parents, amazing individuals, and you don't get enough credit and you deserve that. So little old me is telling you thank you and, and, and continue to to stay on the paths that you're on. I know you both do a lot of adoption advocacy work. Courtney, you are clearly doing amazing things in your career. And I, I wanna have a whole nother podcast about what you've been doing with, with self-care and just teaching women and men to believe in themselves and empower themselves. I mean, you're great. And I feel like we need to do more of this. <laughs> um, but thank you both so much. You, you've been great. Any final words either of you wanted to share? We said a lot. <laughs> well, like, normally, it's like normally I do the whole I do the whole speak out thing. I already did that. <laughs> I usually I lately I've just been doing what I do with my students. You know, at the end of every email, the end of every class, I love you and you're worthy. You know, I may not know you, you know, and that's whomever is is watching, but I love you and you're worthy. Wonderful to hear. And Courtney, we would love to invite you to our support group if you're ever interested in attending. Um, there's probably about, what would you say, Sierra, maybe 10 girls in total, give or take. Um, we hold them usually the first Wednesday of every month. They're okay. done virtually now because of COVID. So if you'd like, I'll text you the information for our yeah. next Yeah, please yeah. do. We would love to have you. Yes, we would. <laughs> There's actually another girl on there. Um, she placed, I want to say it was 27 years ago. Um, she she's, has been great about sharing the experience of kind of long-term. So I feel like yeah. you can definitely connect with her. Yeah, I'd love to join. Hear from you. Yeah. So hopefully we can continue this, this relationship. I do think you and Sierra have a lot in common, not just because you're birth mothers, but I think you have a lot of the same vibes. So I feel like you guys should definitely connect um, and feel free if you want me to exchange your phone numbers. I'd be happy yeah, please. please. <laughs> well, thank you both again. It's so great to see your smiling faces and we will all be in touch.
Thank, Thank you. you. Bye. Bye. Bye.